Saturday? What day is it today? Wednesday. Exactly. Welcome to Film and Fight Club. I'm Glenn Falcon, Summer Falcon's Green, and we are joined by freelance writer and critic of Rotten Nehru. Hello, hello, people. And Sydney filmmaker Chris Evans. Duh. Now, we're going to be talking about I Care A Lot Later in the program, which is also my motto for the tennis until Djokovic won again. <laughs> we're pre-recording on Monday. It's still very raw for us. So we may have gotten over this by Wednesday. We're not sure. Maybe you have, dear listener. Oh, my God. I mean, I, I, I do care about tennis, but I don't care about tennis when somebody like Djokovic wins, which is where I leave it. That's it. So you, you just generally haven't cared much about tennis Yeah, lately. since Federer has not <laughs> been playing, actually. So, yeah, that's, 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 uh, that's my take. Yeah, we, we had the injury. Please recover, Roger. We love you. Anyway, we're going to be talking. It's not about tennis. This is not the sports show. This is Film Fight Club about some of the festivals that are happening about town. Capture reviews for the Jewish National Film Festival and the Alliance Francais French Film Festival. First, we want to talk about some news of the week. Queer Screen is in full swing at event cinemas and other cinemas around Sydney. Um, the two of my recommendations would be Five Minutes Too Late, a Romanian drama about the LGBT civil rights movement in Bucharest, and a Georgian film about documentary about the first Pride March in Tbilisi, which um, looks great. I'm catching it this weekend. Also, Summerland, which we covered last year, which was originally screened at the British Film Festival. You look up our review from our November show. The Japanese Film Festival is having screenings over the weekend at the Art Gallery of New South Wales. Um, Moonlight Cinema, Westpac. Also on Wednesdays. A bit late for tonight's one, but uh, yeah, you check the program online. Some of them are sold out. Um, some of them aren't. You can now, because it's no longer COVID restrictions, get extra tickets if you arrive an hour before the shows now. So don't fret if it's sold out and you've got free time on your hands. Um, same for Queer Screen. The extra tickets have become available, which is fantastic. Sessions that were previously sold out. Nice. Uh, Moonlight Cinema, Westpac Open Air Cinema, and Sunset Cinema North Sydney are continuing. Flickerfest is touring around New South Wales and the country. Filmonic Melbourne, the Kino equivalent for, for Victoria, is on tonight. So you can finish listening at 8 o'clock and then just tune into those guys as a live stream as well as happening in person. The Antenna Documentary Film Festival and the Sydney Science Fiction Film Festival have events coming up on Saturday. And the Australian Silent Film Festival and the Taiwan Film Festival Australia have events coming up on Sunday. That's correct. Uh, talking about uh, queer narratives, I'm intrigued to watch uh, the Russell T Davies uh, series. It's a sin. Oh yeah. Which we might cover uh, later on, hopefully. But yeah, because it's TV, maybe we're not. If, maybe if just we film do Fight Club. another episode where we say, "Here's our thoughts on TV." But, uh, <laughs> I usually yeah, the boys is great. Go watch it. Uh, look, I, I could argue with you on the boys, which I think is good. Yeah. It has major flaws. Go the boys, yeah. But this is Film Fight Club. <laughs> yeah, this is... Uh, we, not TV. We, but, but, we, don't, we, don't, we don't talk about content here. Yeah. But they're, they're, they're. <laughs> <laughs> well done, well done, well done. Old man yells at Cloud because his ego is hurt because nobody saw The Irishman. I mean, you're older than you, Virat. <laughs> no, it's, it's not... Scorsese's had bigger flops than The Irishman, which actually I think did pretty well. I everyone assumes this is all about Scorsese's ego whenever he criticizes Marvel and stuff. I was just being a devil's advocate. I know, but, but I, pe I, people keep saying that. Yeah, yeah. For the record, this is regarding a controversy that's erupted on Twitter and elsewhere after comments Fellini made in a, I think, Vanity Fair magazine article about Fellini, which turned into a rant about Netflix and content. Yeah, um, Scorsese has uh, made other controversial, not really non-controversial comments again about cinema. We mean cinema, but, the distinction look, thereof. But I'll the, the, say there's not wrong. Actually, I mean, the, the bit that he said, which I do agree with uh, before we go into this discussion, is he said, basically, there's no distinction between, uh, you know, what is seen on screen, what you scroll on your feed, 
And if there's a cat video or a meme or a GIF, everything comes under the umbrella of content. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Then how is the experience of watching a film any different yeah. to scrolling down your feed? In, in, yeah. light, in, light, in light of the serious discussion about this, I'd just like to note my jab at television being content was not serious. A lot of it is content, a lot of it isn't. Matt Zola Sites wrote a, a great article when Endgame, as well as the last episode of Game of Thrones, were coming out around the same time about the, the future of content, which anticipated a lot of the points Martin Scorsese made. But um, just to, to take us full circle to where this tangent began, um, when people think Scorsese is worried about himself or his own films, at this point, he wants his films to be presented well, but I think he's thinking about legacy and he's thinking about what the next round of young filmmakers, um, what kind of cinematic world they're inheriting. I think he's thinking about people like he um, he was when he started his career. Pre-Mean Streets. And remember, Scorsese yeah. can make whatever he wants and mm. it will get seen because he is Martin Scorsese. But yeah... He he is looking. He's not looking out for himself with instant green light. He's looking out for the people like who he was, um, a, a young, poor, aspiring filmmaker making down and dirty indie films. Where now even the opportunities for those seem to be uh, closing up in yep. the content-driven um, landscape. In the current environment, would he have become a priest after all? Exactly. Uh, I think that's the kind of thing that's driving him. And I, I think he actually really cares a lot about the health of cinema. But that's my very serious um, rant. Uh, you know to rebut a joke comment. Yes, uh, but he, he is correct there. We need to treat film as film and there needs to be a distinction between what is short-lived, non-content that doesn't aspire to be cinema. There is an important distinction to be drawn there. As Not, long- and content has its space too. My but, but that's the thing. I mean, uh, I do take issue with the umbrella term content when it gets applied to distinctive art forms, right? You know, uh, the, the meme culture, however, being edgelordy on the internet has a specific place, which, you know, if you deep dive into that subculture, also has enough nuance. Yeah. And, if, it, and if you just say everything content, it becomes this kind of way of never being seriously engaging with anything by just branding everything content. But, and, and, on, and on the meme aspect, if you see a, a meme or a gif of a film, and granted, I haven't seen that famous Robert Redford film. You mean film, gif, gif, right. Whatever. <laughs> if a famous Robert, famous Robert Redford film, as an example, go up, watch the film, seek it out, and find out what the actual basis of it, even, for, even if it is tangential or largely relevant to the meme itself, because it is more interesting. I think with regard to what Virat was saying, um, as long as everything is controlled by conglomerates and it's presided over by one CEO who just sees a bunch of different revenue streams, then the distinguishment between the art forms doesn't matter. It's just yeah, content late, late that's generating yeah. numbers. Which is what the film we're going to be talking about is about late stage capitalism indeed. Um, yeah. But also on the subject is um, the other big news of the week. It was in The Australian on Monday uh, there, which we're recording a piece uh, with the Pal Cinemas CEO. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Um, I have not read this. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, well, it's, it's an interview. So Pal Cinemas have recently put out their petition calling for civic support from the government to support cinemas and noting that there has been an 83% drop last year in cinema revenue. Wow. A lot of independent cinemas strongly stay open. They're both cutting hours and cutting films and being forced to screen only certain types of films which they wouldn't necessarily always aspire to uh, show certainly this is the case for the palaces and the dendies and the orphans this and is also cinemas. true for the yeah this is true for the events that are finding themselves showing small foreign art house movies because there's nothing else being released in so, megaplexes so worth reading the australian also worth checking out the petition which has been circulated on the mailing list and is on their website um also on the subject of well uh Film nerds, festival nerds, the big film news of the week from our... What are the big 
pieces of film news is Sydney Film Festival has moved their dates for the first time ever from June to August. This has the Sydney Film Festival is screening from the 18th to 29th of August. This is a number of flow and effects, one that for the first time in its 68 year history, it clashes with myth. Um, this is done partly to allow for films from Berlinale and from Cannes to screen. It also has flow-on effects from other festivals who are screening around that time and who may have to reschedule the dates or will find the material they would otherwise have screened different. Um, so it has a, it will have a big flow-on effect for the festival calendar this year. I think the Cannes moving uh, positions might have a big impact or might have been one of the major contributing factors to this move because... Um, I think they want big ticket films. They don't want yeah. films that, if you look it up, you see it. It's it came out in 2019, and there might be screeners of it or a Blu-ray out in, in overseas. Yeah. You know, um, if they didn't have access to the uh, films showing at the Cannes Film Festival, which this year is taking place in July, um, mm-hmm. then the only recent films they'd have access to were Sundance ones, which some people like Virat using VPNs have already <laughs> watched. Um, so the same goes for the Toronto Film Festival films. Berlin has been more restricted with their um, online screeners, so that the would still be TIFF fair ones game, are, uh, are almost all released on Netflix now. Like they're right, all exactly. available essentially. All TIFF films. Uh, the Pieces of a Woman was one of the last mm. ones that got. Uh, but remember that ne- they may still make the decision, even though there has been a commercial release, to have seen screen some films in a Sydney Film Festival context, where otherwise people would have seen them, or people may want to see them in a crowd. But it will be few and far between. Yeah, I feel like those, if they happen, will be screened in small cinemas like your Palace Centrals. Yeah, well, yeah. we will go, but uh, not yeah. uh, the typical crowds they would want. Um, but yeah, I think they, they just want some hot buzz, big ticket films, something that's just premiered at Cannes. The Wes Anderson movie. Yeah, it's a right? commercial decision. Yeah. I mean, so, uh, one of the yeah. bigger flow-on effects that I'm seeing from The Clash with SFF and MIF is there used to be a very clear distinction between the kind of films that SFF would go for and the kind of films MIF would go well, for, or the MIF crowd would, would appreciate. Can I expand on that? Yeah, MIF, with a few exceptions, MIF has everything SFF has. Yeah, and then your extra Extras. SFF would never go for this. Exactly. Stuff. So uh, with this clash, what I'm thinking is: is that going to be essentially uh, the, the same slate, but for different audiences, people in Sydney or Melbourne? You know, will MIF be showing more stuff? And and remember, MIF actually starts a little bit early. I don't believe that. There's very little crossover in terms of the audiences. We're one of the, some of the only nerds who fly down for MIF. We probably well, will still this I mean, year. But if, like you this, your next, be, if you want to see your new Hong Kong suit, you go to MIF, but, which is what's going to happen. But, I mean, that's, he's made two more films. <laughs> one of the great things about MIF is MIF aren't parochial as that we have to get these Cannes films first. They screen the stuff that is the best from Cannes in these festivals, that does well in Sydney, and some other stuff that subsequently comes out. And I'm wondering, will only one festival get a premiere run in August? Will the films be split between the festivals, which is bad for both of them I have no issue I think it would be great if Khan and all these other major festivals said um, well we're happy to give them to both these jurisdictions and whoever gets screens first will get the premiere fine by me from a um, cinephile perspective I can't speak to how it works on it from a business perspective but um, the opposite of that would be great is if somehow they're splitting the cost of showing yeah. these films in Australia between the festivals oh so I mean, great what, what else <laughs> uh, what can we predict we have a new Lab DS so that's that's definitely that'll be a myth not that, at Sydney yep, yeah. maybe yeah. at Sydney I don't know maybe at Sydney yeah yeah, it's it's a really important thing. It would definitely be a myth, not be it. We're talking about all this now, but there could be some horrific new um, zombie mutating strain of COVID uh, the the Rotterdam. Going around, so uh, let's not get too ahead of ourselves yeah. with the predictions. <laughs> yeah. Ro- Rotterdam Film Fest has some really good picks as well. So the smaller film fests are doing pretty well. It's not 
just the major ones that we need to look out for. So it, it might but be that's interesting. That's what that's what MIFs for. So I feel like it's like some of are us, we just skipping SFF and just going for MIFs? Well, I feel like I'll. No, we're not. <laughs> I might, I'll go to both. Yeah, I feel like I'll take a weekend out to go to Melbourne just to see. It's, it's just a thing about how quarantining many, will work at that point in time. I exactly. Hope. Well, if it's there impossible is, to we, make we, predictions. We, 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 we can't. Remember, they were saying all done flights by Christmas uh, not happening. But we'll <laughs> yeah, see. Yeah, that um, was, that's something we cannot predict. And we'll obviously update when there's news on the festival front. Um, speaking on the local festival front, uh, Chris noted we were at the hotel not too far away, the Chipper Hotel. And they are running or hosting a new film festival, the Sequelathon, where you are a young film. If you're a filmmaker, you get to make a short, five minute short, and an episode of something. You screen it. Uh, the audience votes if they like it. You get to make a sequel, and others can come back in the subsequent month and sort of like a kino film I, I, book club I, I, and I make another make another film. It sounds sounds fun. Um, I think the idea is that the second episode competes against the first episodes of everything else. Yes. Yeah. So do we want to see more of this or is this more intriguing? Do we switch yeah. to this stream? It's a cool idea. It hasn't been done before in Australia. Yeah, it's novel. Yeah. Um, there's uh, Dan Harmon has something very similar. They've actually noted that it is similar to his program. Anyway, that's happening on March 30th. Uh, the, they're due on March 26th and it's called The Sequel-a-thon. So you're listening to Film Fight Club on 2SCR with Glenn Falkenstein, Chris Evans of Right Nehru. We're going to talk about I Care A Lot at the moment. But first, uh, we there are two festivals happening at the moment, addition to the ones we've discussed. The Alliance Francais French Film Festival is in full swing as of Tuesday. Um, a film I caught at the media preview was The Godmother, the new Isabelle Huppert film, which is quite good. It is about a police interpreter who gets involved with criminals try, they're trying to catch in order to get funds to support her ailing mother. Um, I quite like the focus of this film. It's unusual to see films about interpreters. They're usually overlooked in the context of dramatic fare, but they're always the busiest people in the room because they have to think and work twice as hard as anyone else. Um, and I appreciate that focus thereof. Um, there's strong Breaking Bad elements in this, um, the humor, the clumsy dealers that she has to deal with. Um, the film also interestingly touches on why persons of certain backgrounds, this is a very diverse film, have read a sense of trust authority. Certainly the main character is Jewish. Many of the characters she deals with um, are of Arabic background. But this is a very interesting tangent, which unfortunately the film doesn't go into as much as it otherwise could. Um, the Most of the dramatic tension in the film comes from her relationship with the head investigator, who is also her lover. And the film sets them up as having a particular moral code. And in order to have a particular tone at the end of the film, unfortunately, the film goes back on that character development, which I understand from a tonal perspective why you might want the film to end this way. But it was a disappointing shift in the end. It was otherwise a very entertaining film. That is playing at the Alliance Francais French Film Festival. Another film I caught yesterday, which is playing at the Jewish Film Festival at the Ritz, is The Sign Painter. It's a Czech-Lithuanian film set in Dago Pils, which is in eastern Latvia on the Lithuanian border. Um, it is about a Christian man who falls for a local Jewish woman on the eve of the Second World War. It's described as a tragic comedy, but really it's a drama with comedic elements. Um, there are some great bits in the first act of this film, the motif of paint, where you have the Latvian dictatorship followed by the occupation by the Soviets and then the Nazis. Now he has to keep repainting the colors of the streets and the signs to say, now it's Stalin Street, now it's Adolf Street, which was quite funny. Um, there's these great shots of the houses all being skew. He's an artist, but all the paintings are the right way it's a little clear what they're trying to say with this but it made for some great compositions um again there's a few hilarious scenes at the outset but there's a very major shifts in tone into the very serious and dramatic it tries to recapture the funny later with these 
big blaring Wes Anderson-esque. Anderson admittedly does it a lot better um, music cues, which, oh, now you have to laugh and enjoy this. Can I just interject to ask, has there, is there anyone who we might describe as Wes Anderson-esque who doesn't do it a lot worse than Wes Anderson? No, there is, I can't think of anyone. Yeah. Absolutely not. It, it's, it's so imitated, never equaled. He's spent so long reflecting, you know, perfecting and refining that style that you can't just step in and yeah. expect to be like, yeah, can I just take the color palette and then just we'll just wing it? And it all, yeah, it always work. and it always just feels so surface level. You know, his his style feels really lived in in a strange way, despite being so controlled. And this is possibly I, I like aspects of the film, but this is the worst example that I've seen where it's just Ooh. so upbeat, happy Eastern European Latin music, which I grew up with, and suddenly you have to enjoy this, and suddenly between on either end, these very dramatic scenes, it doesn't get the tonal shifts. Uh, uh, it is so blaring and distracting. A, a mm. film that actually managed the tonal shifts really well is what I'm thinking of is Synonyms by Nadia Lapid. Which oh, yeah, was, yeah. You know, we had well, this similar jumps in uh, you know tone and musical cues, very interesting dance sequence, which I still remember. It's very vivid in my in It's my coming head. out. Um, he, he has a new film that should be showing at Cannes this year. Oh, I can't wait then. Yeah. <laughs> and if you are interested in Israeli cinema, the queer screen also have a focus on Israeli cinema this year. It's their country focus. Um, to wrap on The Sign Maker, there's actually a really... I've been I've spent time in Douglas Hills and this part of the world. There's actually a fantastic recreation of 1940s life. Granted, that wasn't there in 1940, but it is... You weren't? <laughs> Believe it. I'm not, I know Vrat called me an old man earlier, but I'm not that old. <laughs> he's a man in the world. That's what I meant. I mean, he's been around. Thank you, Vrat. It was, it, I did that one of trip. But the, the production design is uh, very well done. It's actually the best thing about this film. I'd recommend it for those who have particular interest in, this, in that history. That is the sign maker to screening at Jeff. Now we are talking about a new film that is screening on Amazon Prime as of only three days ago, the 19th, or five days ago is when you're listening. I care a lot. If you're overseas, it might be on Netflix. Some territories have the Netflix distribution. Others have Amazon Prime. Yeah, because we care a lot about how you consume your cinema. We need to tell you how you should. Cinema, just because it's on streaming does not mean it's not cinema. It is starring Rosamund Pike, Isaac Gonzalez, Peter Dinklage, Diane Weist, and Chris Messina. It is about Marla and Fran, played by Rosamund Pike and Isaac Gonzalez, respectively, who are running a scam where they arrange people to be uh, taken into aged care homes and declare that they're unfit to care for themselves. They assume their assets in order to support their care, sell them, and then pocket the profits um, until they meet uh, one character that decides to scam, played by Diane Weist, who, as they we and they are informed, have very powerful and very dangerous friends. What do we think? Um, yeah. th this opens really, really badly. The, uh, there's this speech at the beginning, which is like, uh, let me tell you about the way the world oh, works. Oh, yes, yeah. I was, I was there's just, good winners uh, uh, like me uh, uh, and losers uh, like everybody else. No, no, no. I mean, uh, this this is such an American kind of big short moment, you know. Which, oh, God. But it's it was 100%. To... I was thinking like it's like big short, but it's yeah. like a bunch of movies. This like, yeah. It's become such a cliche and to see such a bad rendition of it starting the film. I, like, mean, I, I watched the big short flashbacks. last week. It's nothing on it. Nothing uh, uh, on yeah, it. like talk about starting a film on, on the wrong foot because it's all just so 
shallow and surface level. Like there, you know, like in yeah. America, there are sharks, you know, lions. No, no, no. Okay, you know, the, the specific line was there are two kinds of people: there are prey and predators. And I'm always a predator. But, but see, listen, this is like the most basic metaphor. Like if you're going to speechify at me, at least come up with something exactly. fresh. Exactly. And I was trouble. remembering uh, having white tiger flashbacks. Like there are two kinds of Indians. We India were thinking about slums. white tiger as well on the, on the way in. I was like, hey, <laughs> we isn't this kind of like white tiger? Yeah, if the film with great premise that's written badly. To give you an idea of how this could be handled better, I'm actually a better example. The Big Short is marginal. The best scene in that movie is the very end where Jeremy Irons says, "There's always going to be the same percentage of winners and losers. There's always there's more of us now, but there's always the same percentage. Same theme, much better handled." The film thinks it's about the American dream and it starts and ends that way. But the middle 80% is such traditional standard crime drama thriller. I wish it hadn't pivoted in that direction. I love the semi-hysterical focus on uh, the scam, on aged care facilities. We're seeing this um, play out in the news in Australia for good reason. Yeah. There is um, very important coverage of abuse within the aged care sector and it's slowly being more and more uncovered. And why couldn't the film focus on the consequence and intricacies of that? I mean, I mean, there was slight uh, discussions around how Marla is basically interacting with these people who are elderly and how she gaslights them into believing that they need paternalistic care. I wanted more of that because that was actually interesting and in basically how people can be convinced that they do need the care. And As a absolutely. side note, if you're interested in this aspect of the film, I recommend Steven Soderbergh's Unsane, yes. uh, which yeah. deals with yeah. a similar scam. Um, in a lot more detail. Well, it's, it's not something that really is dealt with in cinema very much. Incidentally, a film that came out 25 years to the week prior to this is Happy Gilmore, which actually does delve into this right. in a little bit of detail. <laughs> not as much and a very different type of comedy. And I w- yeah, wish we'd had more of a focus. We get to see the interactions with her and the Diane Weiss character and between her and the son of a person she scams, but no one else really. I wanted that insight and the film could have given us that. I found a big problem with this film just on a fundamental level is the way the protagonist is presented and the question for me of how we're supposed to to take her because she is frankly disgusting, right? Yeah, is, yeah, and we're supposed to care about her because it's all right. this feminist sort of like yeah, 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 issue exactly. horned into it. Which exactly. is, I, ha- I would make distinction on that, but um, in a moment. Yeah. It opens up... Okay, I, I enjoy, you know... Nightcrawler. Um, I, I know what you're trying to say, I'm and, I'm, cool and, with, I, and I know how you're trying to phrase it. I'm cool with films about psychopaths, right? But the the way that this character is filmed and presented, um, the stylization um, definitely seems to be placing her in uh, as um, she's a cool figure. You know, she's in some way like the film is trying to build her up as an antihero. And later on in the film, in some of the, the moments when it's showing like physical intimacy she's having with the Fran character, it definitely seems like it's playing the notes that it's trying to make me empathize with her. But she is such a monster. Early on, I, I could go with this film because it's the intrigue of watching two horrible people butt up against each other. But then once it, it seems to switch tones into trying to build her up as genuinely being an anti-hero, um, I just thought, no. And it, and it kind of seems to want to have its cake and eat it too. Like the the film's giving you the thrill of going along with this character and it seems to be a tacit endorsement of her ideas. Um, we could open another can of worms if I address the, the feminism I'd point. I'd like to address that. Did. I'll let you guys jump in, but um, before I do, I have this parting quip. Um, it it's, seems to want 
to be like a woke empowerment thriller, but it's actually a Trumpian thriller because it's about how there's special people who can um, ignore the the pain and suffering they cause to other people in their way, imprison people against their will, um, and, and, to and, the and, they, and they deserve it because you know they because they, they sheer power of me. ego and narcissism and me 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 carries them through, and yeah. that's the way America works. Okay. First thing on the feminist aspect, I actually, I disagree. I don't think it's going for quote unquote woke points in that respect. The reason is that the points of the film where, um, where a feminist direction is brought up or the character otherwise calls out her behavior by others as a woman, how she's treated as a woman. I think the way she treats characters, as Chris has said, is absolutely abominable. But in fairness, she does call out nonetheless sexist and untoward attitudes that are directed at her but and i have so i don't have a problem with that aspect of the film and chris is gonna jump in but then i'd like to go into um how we see her more generally my issue and, and i think for us as well is that with regard to showing us the sexism she faces i feel like that's being deployed in a way to get our sympathies with her and, yeah, I mean, and, I mean, it's it's it's. Uh, I mean, what you're right, Glenn. But at the same time, this the way this film treated as if the one thing undoes the other, right? Is because if we choose the fact that we are championing her feminism, we have to forget about the fact that she's also a horrible person. Uh, I but think, I, think I can't right do have, that. I think it's right to have the nuance that most of the people in this film are just lousy. Lou, all the, the old people in this film are just lousy, lousy people. Look, the the opening of the film has um, a character who's being denied access to his mother, who he knows is being falsely imprisoned. And um, after she puts on a performance and get, is given the right to continue to perpetuate her abuse by the court, he goes out and calls her a bunch of misogynistic things, right? So, but it feels, okay, so the film at this, it's bad that he's being sexist, right? But right from, even before then, the film's been holding him up as an idiot, like the showing in slow motion, the scene of him trashing a lobby, um, you know, with like the, the big exaggerated faces he's play, he's making, Um why do we? It, it, it's all. It, I just felt like in that moment I, I saw that like the the sexism angle is like oh it's okay to laugh at this guy who's being screwed over and this horrible position he's in because he's a sexist and she's a woman and she's winning and she's on top. Uh, but at the same time, I don't feel that he, you know, people lash out and say things when they're angry. And this character was being denied access to his mother. So it, it wasn't necessarily, I mean, from my perspective, it wasn't that he was being sexist in that moment. He was just being angry. That's not angry. No, he was angry. Certainly the film frames that he has a right to be angry. Separate, in addition to that, he was sexist towards her and it was okay for her. And she, he threatened her and it's okay to call that out. I'll just say I don't think the film is nuanced enough to do tribute like do to the, the depth of these issues. Right. And, and I think this speaks to for me a broader issue with the film. Just know because we haven't addressed it so far. Uh, Pike, as always, she's excellent. She plays a character who has underlying menace but has this adroit professionalism. And unfortunately, her and same with Dinklage and the others in this film. Uh, they're in an interesting film which I think is let down greatly by the writing and direction. To this point, I think where it falls apart is it's all right if we are motivated or cheer on the side of an antihero, but it's not for me so much that the film doesn't really know or can convey how it wants us to see her. It's that the film isn't really clear on its central character and just very essentially where they're coming from. We referred to The Big Short earlier, a film which is great because they're so clear on character motivation where they're all coming from. This throws us 
everything, contradictory elements of motivation. We're told that she's doing it because she's scrappy and wants to survive and came from a place of desperation. We're told that she comes from, that she just wants money and that it's American idealism. We're told that she's doing it for her lover. At one point, she brings up as analogous to her motivation, the events of 1807, which is just absurd. And these all contradictory. More interesting is, as Chris alluded to, the um, interpretation that she is just a sociopath, which we a lend in a moment where we talk about the main character's mother. And this would be a much more interesting angle, which they only touch on, and I wish they'd gone into more detail. I think an understanding of the feminist aspect of this film would have been much more interesting if we could understand more about this character and where she was coming from. But the film, in order to want us to empathize with her, says these are all the reasons to emphasize with her, and they're contradictory elements, and they demean and undermine rather than raise the film up. I think... Um the White Tiger is similarly one of these have your cake and eat it two films where they want to give us I the agree. thrill of rooting for an anti-hero who, who acts sociopathically at times, but they also want to make them kind justify, the yeah, justify the fact that no, this uh, anti-hero yeah, I, is just like you. He's I just think, misunderstood. I think there's a fear. Of, live in a society. <laughs> I think there's a fear of genuinely unsympathetic uh, leading characters in, in Hollywood at the moment. Um, which is a real shame. It's a Trumpian film, really. Like the the, the language yeah. about winners and losers. I wish it had come out a few months before. Granted, it's still relevant and interesting. It's just that it seems to be endorsing the Trump figure. Like it, it gets to be moralizing about, oh, she's doing a bad thing. And, um, uh, but and- it also gets to give you the the glory of relishing in what she's doing. I started to just feel like. It was an amoral film, and it's a product of this amoral Trumpian culture. Yeah, which, which like, would work. I mean, but the, and Pike is great, but she's not that great. She's basically playing Amy Dunn. Okay, no, Pondo I disagree with that in, entirely. In that we want to get into this on the podcast. She has a lot of fake plastic smiles. There, there are similar aspects to the Amy Dunn role, but there are similar traits to Rob. It's a wholly different circumstance, a wholly different character, and... Amy Dunn, I actually think this is a more interesting character and a less interesting story. I don't agree that Amy a- Amy Dunn had, again, it's a very distinct motivation. And this is a character who um, is, isn't sent, isn't around revenge at all. I I, I wouldn't make the comparison. So this has been filmed by Club Chris Evans, Glenn Falkenstein, and Virat Nehru. We're going to go into the podcast in a little more detail, talking all things um, I Care A Lot, which is now streaming on Amazon. The Jewish International Film Festival, Queer Screen... And the uh, currently screening now, the Only Guns Front Safe Film Festival is happening next week. Um, Antenna and the City Science Fiction Film Festival are Saturday. The Sun Film Festival and Taiwan Film Festival Australia happening on Sunday. Um, check out the Palestine petition. Stay tuned for the Sonic Assassin. Have a wonderful night. Stay safe and enjoy movies. Good night. And we're back on Film Fight Club talking all things I care a lot. Um, picking up on... I, I did like... Um, for the reasons stated, I disagree of the um, Gone Girl comparison. I really need to rewatch the film. I really did enjoy it back in the day. With what we were saying before and me saying, like, you know, what is the, the film's perspective on this character? I don't want it to sound like I'm demanding that they spoon feed me the meaning. Yeah, you know? yeah. Like it might sound like I'm just uncomfortable with ambiguity. And here's a film that's showing that's trying to show how America is where sociopathic profit motive um can trump everything because the system's rigged to benefit people who but, play but that's, the game but, that but, way. But that's the thing. But if, if you're going going that way, go that way. I, yeah. I think that the film doesn't go far enough when or I, it's not convinced in its own right. beliefs when about I, that. Right. So when I watch a film like The Player or um, Nightcrawler, I definitely feel um, that there's levels of irony in the way that the, the success of the sociopathic protagonist is, is presented. Um, 
this just feels, feels un- lived in. And, and you know what? The whole scrappy quality, mm. this isn't evident here. This no, that's the whole, right. We need to make money to live. It's not resplendent within the plot. Good point. Staging. Yeah. But yeah, this just starts to feel unpleasant to watch um, because of the way that, like I said uh, earlier on the radio show, it keeps glamorizing the protagonist and trying to generate thrills and um, trying to get us to cheer on her success in overcoming these people. When um, I, I just don't think she was able to reach that, or the, the film was able to convince me that a person who perpetuates massive elder abuse as well as breaking apart families on this level was worthy of that level of anti-hero treatment. Even if she is in terrible circumstances, I still couldn't cross that bridge to really uh, stop wanting them to just pop up and drop, shoot a bullet in her skull, and frankly. I, and I wish it would have been... Her character deserved yeah. to die. I, I wish the clear motivation so we could actually empathize with her one way or another or the others. Yeah, you're, um, you're very right when you about what you say about how thinly she's drawn and um, how that scrappy quality is completely missing because I remember later in the film um, when I was thinking about like what's motivating her, I think it is, going back to that Trump comparison, just that will to always be winning and always being on, on top, me, me, me. I think it's ultimately that too. Yeah, but um, as I was motivating that, I thought back to that thing about the money and then I thought, hang on. Like she said that at the beginning of the film, but I'd forgotten it until that moment. And then when I thought about it again, having watched 40 more minutes of material following this character, I thought that doesn't the... make sense. That's not, the, that's not the person I'm watching. She doesn't seem at all, like you never see anything else beyond her saying that I was poor once, but she acts like no. an entitled rich person. Well, it bookends the film with this theme. And the problem is, she makes a key decision when she is confronted with danger and seemingly the most extreme danger this character and scams ever experienced. And it conflicts with the action she takes. We want to understand why she decided to take this route to either defy or acquiesce. And I wish I could do enough of this character to understand why she would have taken the chance. I wanted to be able to know, yes, I understand you did that and go along with you. But we couldn't do that because of the way this film was structured. It is quite badly written. I think uh, the the problem the film has is a it doesn't really know you know we're right that we're not we're right I mean you guys are right that the characters themselves are uh, also we're right and that the characters themselves are not very well written also uh, we don't really have a conflict in this film oh we, we, I mean I mean we, I essentially no but that's, it's a standard, it's a battle crime, of wills. It's a standard it, crime thriller but that's the thing I mean uh, Dinklage has picked up. What is this thankless role? Why is he doing this? What's he doing? Is so good. The, he's great, but they're all thankless. Most of them are thankless roles. Gonzalez, wonderful actress, a thankless role. Uh, Diane Weist actually is one of the best oh, scenes yeah, she, in the film. It's awesome. hilarious yeah. scene yeah, she yeah. has with She's Pike. awesome. Um, she always is good. I think it's just that there's a lack of good scripts being made in Hollywood. Um, Picking's a slim. You can get great actors in trash material these days. How bad is the, is, is, um, the, the way the plot portrays these mafia guys? Like, I, I yeah. struggle to believe. Oh, it's we're, so we're back to like FBI, CIA, mm. men with dark glasses mm. and suits. Yeah. Kind and the of way tropes. that these... we're just told, we're just spoon fed one line, and we're supposed to leave popular culture. You're supposed to be afraid of these guys. No, we need more. We're supposed to believe that because these two women are confident, successful go getters in the corporate world um, or the, the world of making. Of corporate profiting on old people. Yeah. I want to um, see more of this world. There's all these people who are complicit. I want to expand on this universe. Yeah, exactly. Instead of beco- going in, it could have been a much smarter thriller where instead of becoming sort of an action movie light, um, the, the menace was more in the background while we're watching. Um, Soderbergh could have made a movie like oh, that. Who did the, Unsane. Speaking but, of the action movie light, the way they evade danger. That's what so I was bad. about to get to. The, 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 like, Am I supposed to believe that the mafia have never come across someone as resourceful or smart or determined as her before surely if this guy is such a successful crime figure in that position who's faked his death 
he's dealt with people who think they're smart like her before and, and come out on top. And the way that they get to the point where he could uh, be in the narrative, yeah. he must have had much more logistical experience otherwise. Exactly. Than this film suggests. The but, film makes him dumb when it needs to be dumb. Yeah, but but the, the menacing um, mafia people turn out to be not so menacing after all because of their weird inability to kill the, the lead characters who then, uh, you know, skill up when they need to. Oh, yeah. They like, level up. Yeah, uh, like she's she's just, I mean, what even, I was going to say she's a, a lawyer, right? That's all she is, right? Suddenly she, it's like in Minority Report when the um, the the off, the suit office Colin Farrell guy suddenly starts jumping over cars. And... Oh, no, they said that he had that background. But in this, she, they effectively, they play it like a video game. They regenerate and now they're more powerful. It's very... She, she has all, she seems to be a spy. Yeah. She definitely seems like a spy. <laughs> yeah, and that's not... A particular set of skills. And not these characters background versus the mega cop that Colin Farrell fairly was in Minority Report. Fair. I have a very particular set of skills. I'll find you and but, I will kill you. But speaking of the goons and other things, some things I did like about this... I liked how the hired goons were written. Unlike most films, they actually had more personality. Yeah. And there's a hilarious scene where they rock up to the aged care facility with pullovers in disguise. <laughs> for, and also, I think my favorite scene in the film is early on. It's my favorite performance Christmas scene. He's in a minor role. He's playing a lawyer who has to negotiate with her um, in order to get, uh, in order to resolve the situation. And it plays out like a typical negotiation will, but with very novel stakes. There's a great deal of tension. It escalates. Um, I, it was my favorite scene in the film. I liked it a lot. I enjoyed the film after the opening and before it settled into real stupidity in the closing stretch. Um, not on any deep level, but just because the premise is interesting enough, and I, I think yes, it's it's competently directed. This you know the story flows smoothly enough. You know, it, it has this uh, standard I, problem that a lot of movies right I, now are having, which is it doesn't know what story it wants to tell. I yeah, mean, this is just it's just a story. It feels like it never progressed beyond. Uh, beyond the kind of, you know, uh, I suppose the one line, mm. you know, uh, stock standard treatment that you have about, well, you know, one opening log line. Well, look, about the, the title, I Same care a lot. One log line. That's all you got, Peter Dinklage. The title's referring to this care scam, but then that basically disappears in the narrative and it becomes this much more familiar revenge on the mafia kind of story, yeah. which is basically like John Wick with less crazy executions. The film, it's weird how much the film shifts because the film is great when she has to evade being found out through using the law and taking advantage of the system versus I can now because, level up because that's and do these set. crazy It's really things. dumb. It's and, a dumb movie. Yeah. <laughs> so it, it, it doesn't start as a dumb movie. It transpires into a dumb movie. And, and most of the reason why you are basically you know, I guess hoodwinked into believing this is smarter than anything else is because Rosamund Pike just keeps flicking her hair and makes you believe that, oh my God, she's, she's resourceful. She's excellent in this. Yeah, she's great. She's good. She, she sells this more than most people could. Yeah, I, and I agree. And that's okay. partly why the movie is so dumb. Her character's underdeveloped, as we said earlier, but how underdeveloped is Fran, the Eliza Gonzalez character? Oh my God. Why is she even in that? Like, what, what does she even do? She, she is the love interest. That's she, it. She's just like, she's just the she love interest. She actually doesn't need to be in the film. She serves no function in the narrative, really. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. The only thing, reason I can think of that she's there. Drop some exposition about one of the characters. I mean, but, God, no, God also, damn it, guys. I think it was important to the conception here um, that she has a lesbian love interest and that's it. But can I just say <laughs> I, that I was that point, yeah. like... I, I can already hear the, the counter argument to this about like, 
why shouldn't it just be taken for granted as it would be if there were a straight love interest? Um, but something about the, the choice to ha give her a, a lesbian love interest here feels weird in light of the whole package. Like it's playing to this dated conception of like the, the, the tough woman, you know, and she's a lesbian and she's, you know, talking about castrating yeah. all the, the mafia guys. or Because, because you know, alpha, alpha females have to be dykes, right? This is that yeah, whole, it, it Hollywood seems, joke. It seems to be this, this kind of dated conception, even the way that her character is so completely icy and plastic in the way she deals with yeah. people. I don't so, know. I feel like it's... Bo bossy attitude equals, you know, gay or, or lesbian. Yeah, especially when, when this is wrapped up like... It's, it feels in some ways it wants us to take it as a feminist empowerment story. It, it, but, but on, on sort of feels, like a... Yeah, yeah, it feels dated. It feels confused. For me, the only problem was that the character... It annoys me when a character is written in but serves no function in a story. Isaac Gonzalez, this character did not. Arguably, you could say it goes to her motivation, but for reasons discussed, that was extremely muddled. And uh, the writing around her motivation was, again, ineffectual. So um, I don't think the story would have changed if she'd had any love interest at all. Agreed. I mean, as a crude joke, I can say that same-sex uh, couples on screen have equal rights to be represented as badly as heteronormative love interests on screen. So I guess it's only fair. I, I thought of a closing hot take. In, in some ways, <laughs> this is like the, the perfect... The corporate feminist movie where it's like we're <laughs> celebrating now that women can also be psychopaths on top of the corporate pyramid yeah you know, with like equal opportunities with, in america with yeah with, a smarter movie would have led into that satire more yeah the, this but, could uh, have been like american psycho but like with patrick bateman except like rosamund pike is playing that actually, version. yeah um, a more a, a story that i would have found interesting the film the villains in this um at least the mainstay villains don't I believe, underestimate these people because they are women. They underestimate them because they have their own superiority complex. And they underestimate them because they don't know that the narrative gods are just making coincidences happen at the right moment to yeah. help Rosamund Pike at all times. And like, granted, they went in a different direction, different direction with the story, it's fine. But if they had decided, oh, um, if they did have more openly sexist attitudes, and it could be interesting. Having said that, I didn't mind that the direction the villains Generally, took, but I just wish they'd be more nuanced, more interesting, as opposed to just being this one again log line. And it would have lent more into the uh, uh, the story. Certainly, wants to connote that there's aspects of um, a feminist narrative and or a feminine as tangents to it. And I think that was one way that it could have explored a worthy subject in more detail. Well, if it had, as you said earlier, gone into some more detail about her backstory, it could have um, had gone further into the sat the satirical points. It seems to be wanting to make that never really come out, we could have seen how maybe some of the way that um, f f uh, Martha, Mala? Mala? Mala. Yeah, some of the ways that Mala acts, you know, um, have come about as a reaction to sexism. or It, it kind of implies things along those lines, but the, the film's not interested enough in her to really delve beneath the surface. And the, the big satirical points that it seems to um, want to address in the big short-esque opening and closing I just so tacked on at the beginning and the end and, and not really in resonance with what the rest of the film is saying, I think. Martha, why did you take that name? It's Mala. <laughs> Mala. But, but, Martha. Um, so it's shout not, out to the Snyder Cut, which is coming out soon. Martha at all. And we don't need to have the Snyder Cut at all. Um, the last thing I would say on this, uh, one thing I liked is that with regards to the legal system and obviously the issues around aged care abuse um, have to address the extent to which the legal system are um, or neglectful. 
the role of the judge in this, the recurring judge, I think it's left nicely open as to whether this person is um, just woefully inadequate and or complicit. Yeah. Or and or when I say inadequate, I mean just dumb and con- and and doesn't have the cognizance to know the extent of what's going on. And I liked that. It's yeah. a nuance that wasn't resplendent throughout a lot of the film. He's actually one of the things I like most about the film too on reflection. And his performance is great. Yeah, he's good. Um, and the, the court scenes, uh, especially the I think the the, the second the last court scene. Um, they're they're pretty was, good. They're pretty good. They, they could, this could have this been could a have been legal drama. Film. It could have been legal drama. Yeah. I, I would have really appreciated, especially you know how elder abuse is handled in the legal justice system. I think would it would have just, been very interesting. I think the the like I said earlier, the elements of the mafia and the looming threat of murder or worse um, could have been much more in the shadows and being built up instead of the film being ov- overwhelmed by gang action shootouts. It didn't need to be that kind of film. So that is I Care A Lot. It is streaming now on Amazon. Uh, We're back next week talking Malcolm Marie and News of the World, Um, in addition to the News Festival News, the Tom Hanks film, to be clear. Of the world. Of the world. He's a man of the world. Yeah. Older man of the world. Tom Hanks of the world. The the daddest dad that ever dadded. Thanks, Hanks. Thanks, Hanks. Thanks, Hanks. Thanks. Good night from Film Fight Club.